0: for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Jump on top of these announcements, Andy. Uh, Good morning. It's been a full morning already. Do your heart feel full? you feel like the Lord's been speaking to you? Some great testimonies today. It was beautiful. Thanks for calling them out, Isa. It was well done. It was what God wanted that moment. And but um, well, let's take just an abbreviated time in God's word. But I think God will speak to you because this passage that we have this morning is very powerful. And so, if like Jesus said, if you had ears to hear it, it'll change your life. So um, let me read the first scripture to you. Uh, it's going to start in First, or excuse me, Second Corinthians verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Just think about that a minute. Christ's love, the love of Jesus, it it motivates us, it, it fuels us, it compels us, it controls us, it defines how and where we go because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live, listen to this, should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. The beauty of this, just these two sentences, speaks about, The love of God being so profound, so relevant in our lives that it becomes like the prime minister of your life. It becomes the standard by which you live. It dictates what you do and what you don't do. And the scripture says that we should no longer live for ourselves. And so it's clear, and I think we all understand this, that it is a human default to live for ourselves, right? To look after numero uno. That's the human default. But the scripture says Christ's love so transforms us that we can be changed To say that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who loved us so well. Not just loved us in words, not just loved us in sentiments, but loved us by laying down his life. That Jesus so loved you, that while you were his enemy, while you were far from God, while you wanted nothing to do with him, while you may either have been in direct opposition to him, or you may have just been ignoring him completely, God loved you so much. He was so for you that he laid down his life and died for you even when you were in that position. And this scripture says that this love, Christ's love for us, then becomes the defining element of how we live our lives. I mean, don't you long to be controlled by love? I mean, wouldn't that be incredible for you? I mean, think of all the things that do control you, right? Greed or lust or insecurity or fear or anxiety. Think of all the influences that are on your life, even right now. Hunger, boredom. <laughs> you don't, you're not, don't laugh at boredom. That's personal. But think of all the things that influence your life. This scripture is saying, no, Christ's love, the love of Jesus in your life, that is to be the influencer, the prime minister, the gatekeeper of your life so that you wouldn't live for yourselves, but you'd live for the one who loved you. Let's, let's pray a minute and let's ask God to do that. I, I, I think we just need, it's such a profound Thing It's so simple. You're like, Pastor, are you going to talk about Jesus loves me? This I know? Have you been working all week on that? That's the sermon? It's kind of simple, right? Like, no, I've been working my whole life on this. And I'm still in process that Christ's love would control and constrain and fuel me. Let's pray. Father, your word says that you so love this world that you so love me and the people in this room, Lord, the haters and the lovers, that you demonstrated your love. And while we were still sinners, Christ died. Lord, we don't understand that kind of love really because it's not a human natural love. But Lord, we want to be filled with that love. We want to let that love dictate the terms of our living. We don't want to live out of anxiety or fear Lord, we don't want to live out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. God, we don't want to live out of feeling the victim or the victor. God, we want to live out of the love of Christ. That this would be the golden rule of our lives. That we're loved and that, Lord, you commission us to love the world on your behalf. So, Lord, I pray that as we hear the scriptures today, that it would be received, Lord, with an overflow and outpouring of the love of Jesus in our lives. Lord, for those that feel empty, that feel just the cup is just dry and empty, God, fill that cup. Holy Spirit, we just cry out to you, overflow our cups. Help us not to live out of the bottom of the cup, but help us to live out of an overflow of the love of Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the, the title today, and I'm going to do it quickly, is, is simply this thing, The Power of the Invitation. I announced last week I was going to do two just on Taste and See. I want Taste and See, our parking lot picnic that's coming up. I want our hearts to be ready. And so listen to the last week's sermon. It was really good. And combine it with this sermon. I want you to feel fresh initiation of the power of your invitation to someone in your life to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Break out of your routine that you're too busy, too distracted, to be overflowing with the love of Jesus to the people around you. And this scripture is going to give us some really beautiful, wonderful, freeing instruction. So I'm going to start with verse 16. Are you ready? Verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, it says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Wow, I can just see the Holy Spirit conviction falling on you right now. Think about that. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once, my word even, regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Someone say amen to that. Yeah. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's, say it with me, ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, one of the most theologically profound sentences in the Bible. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. All right, so let me just just quickly bullet point, walk us through these things. First of all, this idea of regarding others no longer from a worldly point of view. Don't you know that your point of view, that your point of view so influences what you do and how you think, right? So if you have an aerial view, if you're like 30,000 feet and you look down, you're like, wow, look at all those cornfields and look at all those nice roads. That point of view affects the way you think about it. You're like, oh, hey, that looks so nice and neat and clean and wow, Illinois is cool. Yeah, until you get back down on that field and you're like, this field is dirty, it's hot, it's dry. I want to go back to the suburbs. I want to go back to the city. Farming is hard. It's not clean and neat. Your perspective, your worldview affects everything. And the scripture here is saying, look, You used to view things from a human perspective. But we can do that no longer. We have to view, specifically, people from a different perspective. From a God's perspective. I mean, the default of your heart is, for everyone, a beginning place is to view things from our own perspective. A selfish, worldly point of view. That's our default. We're born into sin. We're nurtured in sin. We live in a world of sinful, selfish people. We all have to look out for ourselves. But the scripture says, because of Christ's compelling, constraining love, we no longer have to view other people through our own human perspective. But we can view other people from God's perspective. Listen, that is a major shift. And if that shift has not come about in your life, hear the word of the Lord and respond to it. Receive it. Say, you know what? Lord, that's me. I've never thought about it before. I view everything through my own selfish, or through a worldly, culturally common, everyone does it, perspective. I don't view people through heaven's perspective. Let me tell you just a little bit about the worldly perspective. A worldly perspective views someone and says, can that person benefit me? When a cro- you walk into a, a party and you look around, you're like, who do I want to talk to? Right? If you're a single guy, you're scanning for babes, right? If you're a single girl, you don't want to be so crass, so you want to put your in prox- self in proximity of the guy you like, but you don't want to just go hang on him because that's too forward. You think in terms of how can this room benefit me? But a godly perspective, you walk into that same room and you say, Lord, how can I benefit this room? Lord, what do you want to do in this room? Where's the lonely person in this room? Let me talk to them. Let me use my small reservoir of cool and let me lend it to them. Instead of looking around the room and trying to find the coolest person you can find and just mooching off their cool. Because you know some of you are just experts at mooching off other people's cool. It's a mind shift. It's a worldly perspective versus a heavenly perspective. I mean, think about it from God's perspective a minute. When he saw the world and all the sin and all the hate and all the brokenness and all the chaos and all the pain, God's like, let's go hang out with them because that's going to help us. Not. God looked upon the world and he saw with compassion in his heart the brokenness and the chains of sin. And he says, no, I'm compelled by love, God says. I love them, this broken, sinful people. And so I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to send my son. And he's going to take upon himself their sin. He's going to bear upon himself the wrath of judgment of sin so that these people can be set free and liberated. That's not an earthly perspective. You know what else is an earthly perspective? That some people, they're just too far gone. You look around and you say, you know what? I might be able to get that person to come to Taste and See. They're kind of morally good, but I could never get that person. As a matter of fact, if I invited that person to Taste and See, they would embarrass the heck out of me. I can't bring them. People be wondering like, where'd you get that guy, man? Send him back. Worldly point of view. The scriptures say it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. It's not the people that think they're perfectly good and don't need a savior that need the gospel. It's people that are broken, that need to hear the good news that Christ forgives us from our sin. For that is the message. That is the ministry of reconciliation. Hey, you know what? This is what God's message is. God is forgiving people of their sins. That's the message. That's the message being commissioned to you. But if you see people from a worldly perspective, you'll never get past trying to work it out in your mind who could they talk to or what could possibly happen in order to affect change in their life. But when you view things through God's perspective, you're like, man, I'll just bring the most crazy, ridiculous, broken person. We'll get him a hamburger on a paper plate, and somehow I believe that heaven can break into that dude's life. Because at one point, that was you. Yeah, you never got the hamburger on the paper plate, but somehow God broke into your life. And that's the difference. When you're compelled by the love of Christ, the love of God entered into our broken world on a mission so impossible that no one, from a human point of view, would have thought it would be successful. And lo and behold, God took unschooled fishermen. It wasn't the greatest and the best of their day, they were like dudes that just threw nets off of a boat. And Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You will speak my words. You, the, my message will just resonate, and it's gone through the whole world. Don't view people through a human perspective. Ask yourself right now, Lord, help me change my... If you've never had that change of perspective moment... This is your time right now. As I speak, say, Lord, I want to see people differently. I don't want to see people as the problem anymore. Right? For the weapons of our warfare, right? They're not carnal, they're spiritual. Your enemy is not the person that you don't like or doesn't know Christ or the one who persecutes you. That's why the gospel teaches us to turn the other cheek and love your enemy and pray for your enemy because that person is not the enemy That person is the the one who God loves, who Christ came for. And God wants those who have experienced who know the grace of God to be the grace of God, even to the people that spit back into your face. It is a godly, heavenly perspective, not a human one. And it's really hard to shake that old human perspective because we feel so right and justified. It just feels so right to fight back but you need to see it different. So from now on, on, we no longer view people from a human's perspective. The second thing is this. It's this beautiful verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Boy, there's so much there. I mean, the new creation is this, right? I've been crucified in Christ. I no longer live. But the life I live in the body, I live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. The new creation is that I no longer live for myself. I've died in Christ and I've been reborn alive in the image of my maker, in the image of my savior. Then now I'm the new creation. I've been born again. And and I think sometimes when we think about the power of an invitation, we think, well, how can I get that person to change? How can I fix their life? That person doesn't have a job. This person, they're they're just so socially difficult. I don't know that they'd ever get along in church. Or their marriage is a disaster. Or all you see are these problems, these these symptoms of sin. When Jesus wants us to think about this, what I want to do in the person you're looking at is new creation. I don't want to tweak, I don't want to adjust, I don't want to polish. Man, I want to do out with the old, and I want to see them born again in Christ. It's a different perspective. And it's something that you can't do, which is beautifully liberating. Because if you know that you can't save nobody, all you got to do is say, well, I got to, I'm going to present the message and introduce them to the person who does Part of the new creation reality, by the way, is boldness and freedom to talk about the love of Christ. And if you're not experienced that, if you're a Christian, you say, you know what? I don't have a boldness. I don't have a freedom to talk about the love of Jesus. Hey, that's a reality. I understand that. I experienced that. We all know that. But if what God is wanting to do is to go out with the old man and in with the new man that we would be born again in the image of Christ. It's not just for the person that you can invite. It's for you. That new creation reality is for you. And so you can say to God, say, Lord, make me new again. I mean, even King David said it, right, in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Restore in me the joy of my salvation. These are new creation realities, and they're yours in Christ. If you're following Jesus, he can make you new and continue to renew, renew, renew. And maybe one of the new creation realities that you need in your life is just to be released, a freedom of invitation. Stop feeling like you have to fix anybody. Stop feeling like you have to have a seminary degree and be a missionary, the M word. That's funny that you said that. Missionary is a good word. But there's so many weird connotations. Be done with that. And let the love of Christ flow through you. Be made new in that. Taste sees a perfect opportunity, but this is a lifestyle issue that we would live for Christ, not for ourselves. I, um, I often think about new creation, the old going away and the new coming. And sometimes with people, even coming to Christ or fully surrendering their lives to Christ, there's a fear that somehow it's going to change who I am. Right? Like, oh, I got to get—I can't be this anymore. I have to be something else, like the missionary. I have to be very pious and right. Pastors feel that like they have to look like something or be something we're better off viewing the new creation as a restoring and a returning to health. The new creation means God takes who he made you to be. The sin dies, and suddenly you, in your beautiful, unique, creative expression of who God is, you actually rise to full health. That's what new creation means. Don't be afraid of that. The best, most hilarious, most wonderful version of you is the new creation realities in full health. God's going to just delight us with who you are. Don't be afraid to give your life to Christ. Don't be afraid to fully surrender to the Lord because what he has for you is the best version of you. And that half-hearted, broken, sin-soaked version of you that you cling to it's, it's beneath you. Be the new creation, all that God wants you to be. All right, the next thing, I got to keep moving. I think there's only one thing to say about this. The next section, you can see we're simply just going through this text line by line. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. As if God were making his appeal through you. I just want you to stop a minute and think about if the scripture is true that God has given you, he's given us. Paul's talking about himself And his companions to the Corinthians. But Paul articulates something for all Christians. That God gives us, each of us, it's the Great Commission, the ministry of reconciliation. It's a little bit like the Mission Impossible slogan. This mission, if you choose to accept it. This morning, I want to put it out for you. Do you wish to accept the ministry of reconciliation? Is that something you have space for, that you have room for in your love? Because it is a love issue. It's not a schedule issue. It's not a gifting issue. It's not a personality issue. It's not a your circumstances issue. It's a love issue. Paul's saying, look, Christ's love compels us. We are so affected by God's love for us that we've accepted this ministry of reconciliation, that we, we've accepted the responsibility to tell people God is forgiving people from their sins. We accept that. And it becomes the defining issue in their lives. So let me ask you, because it's a love issue, does the love of Christ in your own life empower you sufficiently to accept that ministry that's convicting isn't it I, I thought about this thing i'm like am i going to do that it's gonna be like you know turning the knife on people a little bit it's not a shame thing it's not a condemnation thing it's simply a question are we so filled with god's love are we so experiencing the grace and the forgiveness of god ourselves that there is something compelling us that we're willing to grab the reins and say yes i will talk about that with others I mean, some of you, for money, you sell everything from, you know, used tires to, you know, pharmaceuticals. If you give somebody enough money, they'll sell anything, right? Every salesman is compelled by something. And they have these really, like, slick incentive programs, and you do this, and you do that, right? There's all these incentive programs to motivate people to get out there and sell photocopiers. What do you, the compelling notion for a salesman isn't like, you know what, Andy, I just really want you to have really good resolution photocopies. It would really, that's my, the payoff for me, it's not my commission, it's not, I just want you to have like crystal clear photocopies. I'm not motivated by that. I don't care if he has, I don't care if he has photocopies at all. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't be making photocopies. This is the digital age but I'd sell him a photocopy if it would get me paid. I promise you that. The scripture is saying, you've been paid. The love of God has been shed broadly in your hearts. You've been accepted. You've been made part of the family. And all the joys and all the benefits also come with all the responsibilities of being a son, a daughter, a child of the king. It's the overflow of your life, which puts words to the love of God. Listen, you can do that. You can do that if you choose to accept it. Do you choose to accept it? Next time you like, the Holy Spirit quickens your heart, and you're like, man, I should invite that person to taste and see, or I should just tell that person how good God's been to me, or just say, you know what, I just... I'll tell you, God's been so good to my life. I'm so thankful for the Lord. I mean, you don't have to even go much beyond that because then the conversation happens. You're going to hear the soundtrack in the back of your mind. Bum, bum, ba-dum, bum, bum, ba-dum, bum. Mission apostle. <laughs> my mission, if I choose to accept it. And maybe, maybe you don't choose to accept it. And that should instantly, instantly trigger you, and remind you to say, you know what? Lord, I, I got to go back to my first love for what salvation means. Lord, I just get to get on my knees again and say, Lord, fill me with your love. Just say a simple prayer. Say, Lord, remind me of your love. I need to be reminded. I'm sorry I do. We all do. Turn to your spouse right now and say, you need to remind me of your love. Go ahead, let's see you do it. Todd, you know you need to be reminded. Okay, good. You feeling reminded right now, Ryan? Brittany? And he's all alone. So am I. My wife's gone today too. As if God were making his appeal through you. I want to end with just this one thought, and it's going to lead us right to communion. It's that last line, verse 21. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. You know the verse in um, Romans 8. says There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know that verse? How many people have held on to that verse when you just feel like a failure? Yeah, me too. Oh, Lord, I blew it again. There is therefore no condemnation for anyone who's following Jesus. Why? How can that be? Is it because God just doesn't care? Of course God cares. God knows the truth. He knows every failure. He knows every sin. But the issue of sin in our life is this, verse 21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. The theologians call it substitutionary atonement. That means the price has been paid on your behalf. God paid the bill with his own blood, right? With his own obedience, the wrath and the judgment of sin fell on Jesus so that the righteousness and the blessing of Jesus would fall on you. God loves you, folks. He loves you. And somehow, out of his giant, father-generous heart, he has chosen To make his appeal to the world, to the nations, through the people that he loves. Who could better talk about the love of God except those who have experienced the love of God? So that's our invitation today. We made little cards to make it easy. Just hand the cards, got all the details on it. But you have to embody the invitation. I'm going to close in prayer and then Andy's going to lead us in communion. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to quicken some things in you. Maybe you just need to say, I just need to not see things from a human standpoint anymore. I need to see people from God's perspective. Maybe there's something about the new creation that you need a revelation of. Say, you know what, God, you can do it. Even if I can't do it, even if I don't know how to fix that person, Lord, I know that you can bring a new creation. And I believe you, God. My faith is big enough that you can come and you can do a work here. Or maybe it's as simple as you saying, Lord, I choose to accept the mission. I don't know that I feel qualified or I know how, but I know it's a love issue. So, so Holy Spirit, reveal the love of God to me afresh. Fill me up, maybe like you've never done before. Let me just be filled with the love of God and help me to put words to that message of reconciliation. You can do that. Stand with me. Let's pray. So you and the team can maybe play a song while we uh, dismiss the... Father, we thank you for just your goodness and your word today. Lord, thank you for these scriptures that speak so well of your love. God, we don't want to be controlled by anything else in life. By ourselves or by other circumstances. Certainly by the, the devil or the enemy or evil influences. God, we want to be compelled and constrained and fueled by the love of Jesus. And so do that work in us. Transform us, God, into people who are overflowing with the message of forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.